Dancing with Philoctetes, Reflections on Pain and Remembrance, contains the script of Philoctetes, Abigail Acavia's new adaptation of the play by Sophocles, which was staged in Leipzig in early March 2020. The book's second part is Abigail's essay, Dancing with Philoctetes, a meditation on empathy, the body, language, violence, memory, and grief. The essay deals with Abigail's process of translating and directing the play, her rethinking of it in light of the COVID-19 pandemic, and with episodes from her life which intersect with her thoughts, primarily training as a dancer in her youth, mourning her older sister, and being a mother. The following is a recording of excerpts from the book, lightly adapted for this format. The part of Philoctetes is read by Lucas Diestel. Excerpts from the essay are read by Abigail Acavia. Also included are snippets from the stage production score, written and produced by Matthew Hendershot. There's no harbor on this desolate place. I want to hear your voice. I look savage, I know, but please have pity on me. I'm lonely. I haven't seen a soul in years. Please don't be scared. Child, do you not know who I am? I really am so hated, despised by the gods even, that not a single word is said about me anywhere in Greece while I waste away. But those who left me here, they keep their secret and laugh about me while my sickness grows worse by the day. Oh, child, son of Achilles, I stand before you, Philoctetes. You probably know me as master of the bow of Heracles. I was a great warrior, yes. I was on my way to Troy with the bravest heroes in all of Greece. Your father was with us. But a godsend snake bit me setting my foot on fire. I was consumed by that savage poison, and the Greek generals shamefully deserted me right here. Agamemnon and his brother, and Odysseus. You hear this, kid? They dumped me here all alone, and hit the road. Sure, left me a measly ration. I'd like to see them survive on that for ten years. I had passed out from the pain, and when I woke up, I saw no one. Kid, can you imagine? Not a ship, not a man in sight, nothing but pain. A whole island of pain, just for me. When lockdown started, a huge phylloctetes-shaped void opened up in my life, where once were rehearsals and fittings, makeup tests and sound checks, and people, so many people I used to hug, so many faces I used to kiss. Things and people that were now banned, their absence pulsating like a phantom limb. I found myself sitting in the dark on the floor of my kid's bedroom, waiting for them to fall asleep, stunned exhausted, grieving, willing myself to believe that there is, there must be a lesson in all this. 
Sophocles is your teacher, I tell myself. His characters are, well, not quite your friends, but they've been through a lot with you. You're used to thinking things through with them. Wait a while. Listen. Write about it. Go back to Sophocles and you will get an answer. You will feel it in your body. But an answer failed to materialize. Philoctetes, I gradually registered, presented not a coherent response in the face of our global state of emergency, but rather an enigma. Sophocles gave me no tools to understand the imperative to stay away, to disconnect, to somehow demonstrate responsible empathy through a debilitating fear of contact. It was like reaching out to a religious authority and returning with skepticism. There was no use for theater in those early days of the pandemic, when every venture out of the house was a dip into gut-clenching panic. Stepping downstairs from our apartment to a necessary outdoor walk on a cold but mercifully sunny day, we find it hard to control our voices as we admonish the kids to just, please, don't touch the railing, just don't, don't touch, don't touch anything. Child, I beg you, by your father, by your mother, by everything you love, don't leave me alone here. Please, take me with you. I know I'm disgusting, but you can bear it. You've got a good heart. You know it's the right thing to do. Throw me with the cargo. I don't mind. Wherever on board, I'll trouble you and your men the least. If you bring me back alive to my hometown, I might see my own father again. I wonder if he still lives. Come, it's right on your way home. Take me at least part of the way. Say yes, child. I'm your suppliant. I'm on my knees. Don't leave me in this desolation where men don't set foot. Save me from this place. Please. To have an older sibling is to be born into a world that contains no, is defined by the existence of your sibling. There is no reality without them. There's not supposed to be. My sister and I used to go to the dance studio every afternoon. She was five years my elder and a few levels ahead of me, so we never took the same classes. Her body was better suited to ballet than mine, except that she was too tall. She was naturally more flexible, and the arch of her foot was higher, which gave her a very beautiful point. I was one of those girls everyone knew would never actually become a dancer. I had really bad turnout, neck perpetually tensing up at difficult moves, ribs sticking out, proportionally long waist and limbs. Short people, my sister once explained to me, have less body to shift around. This makes things easier for them. But I was also obviously clever and had a good ear for rhythm, so for the most part, the teachers did not ridicule me. To be seen by them was the validation I longed for. To have one of them direct her gaze at me for more than a split second and send my way a knee out or an up, up, up 
or God's almighty, uh, yes. One time, the most terrifying of the bunch ran her long fingernails on my thighs over and over again while I stood on my toes so that I would stretch my legs more, 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 leaving red marks that were still visible after class. She saw me, oh blessed joy, to endure the pain it takes to become a little more ballerina-like was not a means. In the absence of a fighting chance to actually be a dancer, it became the goal itself. That I loved to dance was self-evident, but beside the point. It's all I ever wanted, I recently tell a friend. We have been close since middle school. She knew me then. She is now my sounding board as I try to grasp the shape-shifting distance between my youth and my present self. This surge of regret, is it just a momentary lapse of perspective, like a spill that needs to be blotted? Or is it the unsaid yearning that has been there all along? Perhaps sometimes it was said, yes, sort of, but never written. A yearning that has given the last two and a half decades whatever non-linear coherence they will now finally be allowed to possess. You hated it, she says. You were miserable. I am shocked to hear her say this. Let me try to start again. Start from the beginning. Philoctetes, the man on the island, the one who screams, the one who sings, the man who sings though all alone, whose pain is as irrepressible as the wilderness that surrounds him and as inescapably musical. He cannot help but be musical because of the inaccessibility of his suffering. When others hear it, this pain must be transformed. Through his pain, we hear the irresistible and impossible translatability of his voice. Philoctetes' pain is the key to the dramatic action, but also what locks it in place. It is part of the music of his current deserted landscape and a constant call back to his expulsion from the society of the Greeks the society he will eventually be forced to rejoin against his will. His pain is the tough inner core and the ripples, the reverberation of and back to a previous space. It comes in waves, like the feeling when you mourn someone. The word for it is indispensable and bafflingly absent from English. The noun that would correspond to the verb in the sentence I miss you. 
Longing and yearning won't cut it. Hebrew has a particularly effective equivalent. Gagua. Gagua. Breathe it out. Gagua. Sigh. Gagua. Let there be a small crying gasp in the middle of it. Ga-a-gu-a. Philoctetes is a play about returning. Returning even after it becomes clear that returning is not a viable option. It is about being stuck, physically, emotionally, mentally unable to move. It asks, but does not definitively answer, whether empathy can help us out when we are stuck. Gagua. The choking feeling in your throat and chest as the wave washes over you, and the wave itself. This is it, the bow of Heracles. Do you remember how he died? His body ravaged by the centaur's venom? He longed to be delivered from his mortal suffering through purging fire. His son wouldn't light the pyre. Only I would do it. I set him on fire so that his pain would stop. And for that act of friendship, he gave me his divine bow. This bow. Go ahead, try it on. Because you, only you, gave me the gift of this day. You are taking me back home. You have brought me back to life. Here, hold this bow. Then give it back to me. And you'll be able to say, Philoctetes and I were the only mortals to ever touch this weapon. Because of your courage. I remember the drink dispenser. The old teenagers drank coffee too, but mostly it dispensed hot chocolate. I had never seen anything like it before in those days of the early 90s. A mechanism that was a little too complicated for my indecisive self, especially given the scorching temperatures of the end product. Insert coins, press on the drink of choice, quickly press on any desired additions like even more sugar, and already a dark brown ribbed plastic cup that no doubt leaked toxins into the steaming beverage was waiting for you to reach out and cautiously bring to your lips. Look out for spills. Look out for burns. There was an allure to that room, to that machine. Something at once revolting and mystifying, just like the acid green fizzy liquid it produced, as overly fizzy as it was overly sweet, one of the only two soft drink options, the other a fake raspberry fuchsia. Dancers precariously leaned out of the fifth-story window, dangling their long necks outward to exhale forbidden cigarette fumes. There was a perpetual smell of cocoa powder combined with cigarette smoke in that room. Was there also a sink or chairs in this awkward space? The adjacent locker room had two rows of clothes hangers on either wall and was strewn with tights, hairbands, sweatpants, ballet shoes, backpacks, and deodorant spray cans. 
two gigantic hampers for lost and found items, from which some, it was a measure of their preternatural coolness, casually fished out somebody else's forgotten leotard, sniffed, and wore to class as if it was the most natural thing in the world. The locker room was always full of stuff. But I cannot recall anything in that other bare room except for the drink dispenser and a window, which is perhaps not even an allegory for what we were expected to subsist on. Cigarettes and cocoa, the peculiar combination of their odors, is still the smell I associate with the top floor at the studio. An olfactory memory that delivers the gut punch, that place you will never come back to, that moment when you did not realize how very young you were. My hands, defenseless, hunted down by this degenerate traitor. You've tricked me again, but today you use this child as your shield. You're not worthy of him. He follows your orders, but clearly he cannot bear them, they're so foul. You instructed him well in your evil ways. And now you want to drag me from this shore, where you left me to die all alone. Damn you and the commanders you serve. I set out on this war willingly, idealistic fool commanding seven ships. You tried to weasel your way out of it. And now you want me back. What for? Am I no longer a stinking cripple, too repulsive to have on board? Damn you all to hell. I'll consider myself cured when I see you all dead. People who think this is all a hoax. People who are not seized by a mortal fear of COVID. I wonder what kind of inflated sense of health do they have? Clearly, they have not seen a hospital from the inside. But how is it possible that disease has been held so far at bay for them that they have never even had a loved one hospitalized? That they don't know how shitty it is? Let me tell you something I want to scream. It is utterly shitty. It is sleepless nights. It is constant noise. Someone in earshot is moaning. Someone is vomiting. IV poles and medication trays drag on the linoleum floor. The lights are bright fluorescent day and night. The mattress makes a faint crinkling noise when you sit down on it to squeeze a hand. It is a nurse searching for a vein for the nth time. Trimming fingernails or brushing hair at once acts of devastating futility and utmost tenderness. It is boredom. It is midnight phone calls and my mother rushing back there. Worry physically rocking my body into a bunch of rigid limbs attached to a hollowed out ache in the center. It is hospital smell. Not the odor of disinfectant or filtered air, but institution cafeteria smell. Suspended over everything, like an itch. 
a waft of runny, joyless mashed potatoes with that unmistakable trace of powdered onion. A once fresh slice of cucumber left out too long on the plate. After mealtime, the trays are stacked up on a shelved wagon, waiting to be wheeled toward the kitchen somewhere in the belly of this depressing elephantine building. I walk past them in the corridor, suppressing rage and helplessness and nausea. So many corridors. The way is long enough for me to tear up and then pull myself together before I reach your room. <laughs>